Welcome to the Five Lives Podcast, where we believe everyone has a story. And now, here's Ed and Ellen's. Now, he's doing most of the talking. I'm just here for moral support. Go ahead. She's just going to straighten me out. (laughs) Well, my story starts out... I grew up in Lakeview, and it's, it's a li- probably a little unusual testimony in the sense that I really had a personal relationship with Jesus when I was like five years old. In fact, I remember my, my, we grew up in a Catholic church, and I remember my dad, and this was before I was five, I was probably three, and we'd go to, he, to him and my mom had a house in Lakeview, and, and their house was kind of in the basement. And I remember vividly, my dad and I would just kneel down and pray together. And he was not an overtly spiritual guy, but he, he prayed to Jesus. And I thought it was a little weird later on because, you know, when I started going to catechism and all, we learned all of these prayers, but yet he would just talk to Jesus. Well, I'm coming to find out in my later years, he was on target, you understand? So he would just, so I'd, I'd just be that little kid kneeling with him, and, and he would just talk to Jesus. And anyway, um, when I had my little communion, I literally felt the presence of Jesus all over me. Again, I'm probably five years old, but I, I it, it was just like, it was almost like he was talking to me, you know, and, and I, I just felt his presence, and I thought that was just normal. Well, it started out that way, but then I remember vividly, and of course I'm not proud of this, but as I grew older, probably my early teens, 10, well, 11, 12, I remember I started doing things that I knew were wrong. You know, but yet I started doing those things, and it was kind of like I knew I shouldn't do it, but I started doing them anyway. And they got worse. And of course, as we all know, when we start walking away from God, He still loves us, but we don't feel His presence anymore. You know, and that's kind of what happened to me. So by the time I get to college, I went to UNO, and um, I literally became an atheist. Because, you know, the liberal, I mean, the colleges, as we all know, are filled with a lot of liberal teaching and a lot of atheistic teaching. And I, I kind of bought into that. Because by this point, the presence of God had been away from me for a long time. And so I just thought this was an experience I had as a little kid, but I didn't think it was real, if that makes any sense. And <clears throat> so I became an atheist. And... Um, and I knew that there were voids in my life, or there was a void in my life, but I thought, well, you know, even in high school, if I make the football team, I'll be okay. You know, if I get a girlfriend, I'll be okay. If I wind up getting married and having kids, well, all of those things ultimately came to pass, and of course, the void was never filled. And then I said, well, maybe if I do good in business and make some money, you know, maybe, you know, of course, thank God that happened, but it didn't fill the void either. And so, it turned out that I would tell my brothers, my, my earthly brothers, uh, Paul and Gil and Dave, I'd say, you know, guys, I, I don't know. I'm just searching for the truth. I said, I know something's missing, but, and I'm, I'm searching for the truth. But now keep in mind, by this point, I had thrown out Jesus with a lot of the man-made religion and a lot of the rules and regulations. In other words, because some of that stuff just didn't make sense to me. So I threw him out, kind of like the baby with the bathwater that makes sense. And so I didn't think I was looking for Jesus, but I knew I was looking for something. And I just kept doing courses and seminars and, you know, self-help and all kind of stuff. And in 1976, by this point I'm 26 years old, actually I'm 25 because my birthday is late in the year, two of my brother-in-laws and my friend went on a hunting trip down at the mouth of the river. It's called Pasalutri. You have to go by boat down the Mississippi River. And we had been hunting. We, we camped out for a few days. Well, on the last day, this, it was January, so this horrific winter storm came in. And I'm pretty bullheaded, and I, I wanted to get back home because I was getting ready to start my real estate classes like the next day. Well, my brother-in-laws and my friend said, Ed, we need to just hunker down and spend the night because the river's going to be horrible. And I said, well, no, we'll have a, a, a we call it Lee Shore. We'll have a calm shore that we can, we can get back safely. <clears throat> so they finally, you know, yielded to me, and, and we take off. And 
by this point, the temperatures had dropped to like 29 degrees with 70 mile an hour gusts. It was, it was, it was horrific. And we did, we go on and we got the lee shore, so everything's cool. And I'm saying, man, this is going to be, well, when we hit the main pass of the river, again, I was ignorant, I had not been down there before. The wind was coming straight down the river. And all of a sudden, we're facing six to eight foot waves. And we only had a 17 foot boat. We had two boats, but they were both small. And water started coming over. We did the bilge pump, wasn't working. And <clears throat> I remember we were freezing. You couldn't take your hands off for more than five seconds, and, and you would lose ability to do anything because your hands would be frozen. And it appeared that there was a safe place on the other side of the river, so we went all the way over there, of course, taking on water the whole time. And when we got over there, there was no safe place. The, the wind was straight down. And my friend, literally, of course, I didn't understand all this then, but looking back on it, it was almost like he was having like a demonic manifestation. I understand it now. I didn't understand it then. But he started yelling at me and cursing at me and screaming at me to go back on the other side of the river, which is like a mile away. And, and, and he was just like freaking, okay? Well, when I turned around, I had this much freeboard left. The water had filled up the back of the boat, and we were ready to go on. We had about two or three more waves, and we were, we were dead. We had hip boots on, can't swim in six to eight foot waves in 29 degree weather. And I heard a voice, this is the point of the story. I heard a voice, and the voice said, beach the boat. It, it, he didn't yell at me, but it was a, it was a voice. And, it said, and I heard it again. Now in the meantime, that's why I said this was a demonic manifestation, because the devil wanted me to be gone, and he wanted to kill me and my friend, and that was his plan, There's no, no question about it. So my friend's yelling and screaming and cursing at me to go back across the river, which would have been certain death. <coughs> and I hear this voice say, beach the boat. I heard it twice. <laughs> I beached the boat. Thank God. I didn't, I didn't give God the glory. I didn't know it was him. I didn't know whose voice it was. But I beached the boat. And long story short, we got saved. And my, my brother almost died, though. We got hypothermia. But miracle, miraculously, we all we all came home safely. And so <clears throat> I didn't, I mean, I knew it was a very powerful experience, but I didn't know whose voice it was. And so life goes on, but by this point, I am actually starting to come back toward, my ex-wife and I started going to church, you know, back to the Catholic church. We started going occasionally with the children, and, uh, and I was starting to get a little bit out of it. So I started coming out of that atheism thing, but I still didn't know whose voice that was. And this is funny. By 1978, Richie Regan, a friend of ours, invited me to go to a Marvin Gorman luncheon. And there's 50 guys in there. So I'm at this luncheon. And it's good. And he gave a little talk. And so it's time to go. And I'm like a caged animal. I can't wait to get out of there. And Marvin Gorman gets up and he says, Now look, the Lord's telling me there's somebody in here that needs to come to the Lord. And I'm going, I wish whoever that was would hurry up so I could be. <laughs> it was me. I just didn't know it yet. And so I'm like a caged animal. I mean, I could just, you know, it's like I, I wanted to get out of there so bad. So you can see I still had this dichotomy going on. I'm searching for the truth, but at, the, at this point I still don't know it's Jesus. Amen, y'all with me? Yes. And so, <clears throat> so then comes... August of 1982. And, you know, you heard the old cliche, it was the worst week of a person's life and the best week. That's exactly what happened. I got my divorce papers on a Wednesday because my wife, ex-wife and I were having difficulty. She didn't really have a personal relationship with Jesus either, so it wasn't, wasn't just her. I didn't either. So we, we just, we didn't have a foundation to build on. I got my divorce papers on Wednesday, which was the lowest day of my life. And I thought he was going to say that was the best day of his life. Depends on how you look at it. <laughs> on Saturday, four days later, I go to a secular seminar that had nothing to do with Jesus, nothing to do with, that I didn't think it had anything to do with Jesus. Well, I get there, and it was a kind of a self-help, a lot of introspection. You know, I'm sitting in a room with 250 people, and the speaker says, you know, close your eyes and kind of 
do some meditation. Well, when I closed my eyes, once again, I heard that, I heard that voice. <laughs> and the Lord literally showed, it was like a fast frame movie theater. He showed me my life in, in like 20 seconds. And he showed me all the sins that I was justifying and rationalizing. He showed me all of the arrogancy, all of the junk that I thought was okay. <clears throat> and he, not only did he show it to me, but he enveloped me with this. And again, I didn't understand about the Holy Spirit. I didn't know any of that yet. But all I knew was I just felt the love of God that I have not felt since I was five years old. And it was even like ten times more powerful than I remembered it when I was five years old. And so it wasn't a, a condemnation. He, he didn't show me all that stuff to condemn me, but he showed it to me looking back on it so that I would repent. Again, I didn't even use that word back then, but I understand it now. And I did. I said, Lord, I said, God, I, I didn't call him Jesus. I said, God, I don't, I don't want to do that stuff anymore. I, I don't want to live like that. I want to, I want to live for you. And I, boy, it was a road to Damascus experience. It really was. <clears throat> Again, I didn't, I didn't call him Jesus yet. I didn't, but he, he knew he had my heart. And I knew he had my heart at that point. And so in, in just a, in that same day, I had been struggling with, my dad was an alcoholic, and he was dead by this point, but I had this love-hate relationship with my dad, because I loved him, he was a great dad, phenomenal dad, but yet the times he'd come home drunk and, you know, pick on my mom, and, and he, didn't, he didn't physically abuse, but he verbally abused him, and I wanted to kill him those nights, I'm a little bitty kid, but it's like, you know, dad, you know, why are you doing this to mom, she's just like an angel, a sweetheart. So anyway, I had all this, and I didn't even know I had it all going on, but it was in there. It was, it was, sub, it was buried. Well, <clears throat> what the Lord showed me is he gave me a vision of my dad sitting right like this. And in this vision, my dad and I are talking, and he's crying. <laughs> and he said, son, he said, I'm sorry. I said, you know, he said, I just, he was doing the best he could. But he had issues that he had never been able to deal with. You know, he, he did not, he couldn't handle the pressures of life the way some of us can. And I just, in his, in his vision, we just started like loving each other and hugging each other. And I immediately forgave him. I said, Dad, I forgive you. Well, the miracle of that was, <clears throat> I was on the road to being an alcoholic. No more desire for alcohol. I'll have a glass of wine. But I mean, back then I would get smashed. And it wasn't, it wasn't because I wanted to. I had no control. Mm -hmm. In that instant, the Lord set me free. Instantly. It was like an instantaneous deliverance from alcohol. And <clears throat> I go home. I, I apologize to my ex-wife, my kids, my partners. <laughs> I go see my tax attorney. I said, listen, I stole some money from the IRS. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'm not stupid. I told him about this story. Now, he's a Jewish fella, and so I'm telling him this story, and I said, I want to send him the money because I calculated how much I stole. Well, I say I stole it. I cheated. I didn't. I always declared my income, but I cheated on some of my expenses. So I had tallied it all. It was about $3,000, and I said, I want to send this $3,000 to the IRS, but obviously I don't want to be foolish, but I don't want to say, hey, I cheated on my taxes. Here's my name. Come on, Come me. get me. So he, he looked at me and he goes, Ed, he says, I've been practicing for 10 or 15 years. He says, not one person has ever come into my office wanting to send the IRS money. I said, well, I do. I said, I have, I have my marching orders. I need to clean up some stuff, and this is one of the things I need to clean up. And he was stumped. He didn't know how to do it. And he says, okay, this is what we'll do. Go to the bank and get a money order anonymously and just send the letter. Yeah. So, so I sent the letter to the IRS. I didn't sign it. Thank goodness. I put Alan's return address on it. No, and I just, I told the truth. I said, you know, I cheated on my taxes. 
you know, I had this experience with the Lord, so I'm sending you this money. Boom. Well, I never did get a thank you note, but they they, they, they cashed they the money off. Um, I went back to some partners that I had I had misappropriated some money, and I told them the truth. I showed them how much it was. I had checks for them. They freaked out. They, nobody's ever done that in their life before. And again, I wasn't trying to pat myself on the back. I just knew I had to clean up these things that, that, that were wrong. So, at this point, my ex-wife and I are still divorced. She saw some changes in me, but obviously she was pretty much going on her way by that point. And in, in December of 1982, now August was when all of this happened. I mean, like, boom, boom, boom. This was all within a very short period of time. I'm still not in a Bible-preaching church. I'm not getting any Bible, but I am still going to church at this point. Where we worked, where I worked, there was an, a, a lady that's 10 years older than me. Her name's Jackie, and we, she's a sweetheart. And I'd walk by her office every day because the main office was a few feet past her door where, my, where I worked in my, my brother's company. So one day she calls me and she says, Dad, are you dating anybody? Well, I thought Jack, because I knew she was a single, I thought she was getting ready to ask me out. <laughs> and she's 10 years older than me. And I said, well, I, 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 said, well I, I am dating this girl, which I was, but I knew it wasn't serious. I said, why? She says, well, I have this young friend who's kind of breaking up with her boyfriend, and she'd like to meet some new guys. And she said, her name's Ellen. I said, well, I'll tell you what, let's me and you and Ellen go have lunch together one day. And that way, if it's not a good fit, you know, what's a lunch? So we did. And she fell in love with me right away. <laughs> that back, did not happen. Go back and listen to my five lines. That's me. My version. <laughs> we have a slight recollection problem. No, but I thought she was cute. She was very vivacious. And what I didn't tell y'all yet is after that incident in, in August, again, I didn't know, I didn't really know how to pray. But what I did do was I wrote down my wish list of what I was looking for in a new life. And I mean, it was very specific. Well, when I met Ellen, she immediately hit like three or four of the points before we even finished lunch. <laughs> so I knew she was off to a good start. And long story short, we started dating, and of course she was dating other guys, I was dating other girls, but after several months, you know, we realized that we were meant to be. And looking back on that list, she literally fulfills all of those things on my wish list to the T. So God answers prayers even when we don't know how to pray. You know, but, but I was very specific. He says, write it down and be specific. And I did that. And he honored that. Thank you, baby, for that. Thank you for coming to lunch with me. So, we... By September of 84, now this is two full years later, the Lord sent a friend to me to invite me to go to First Baptist Church in Kenner. It was on fire, it was a great church, they were building and blowing and going. So I said, I'd like to go try that. So we go there, and Ellen says, this is right when the Jones guy murdered all those people, the 800 suicides, remember down Guyana. Guyana. They drank the Kool-Aid, if you remember. Right. This yep. was in 84. Yep. <clears throat> so she had never been in a church where people, the eyes are sparkling, they're smiling, they're doing worship song, everybody's like really into She had never been to a church like that, and frankly, I hadn't either. So I was loving it, but she was like really uncomfortable, and I'm not knocking at you, it just was different. So she says, she's like, just like this, her legs are crossed, her arms are folded, so you can tell she was really open to the message. And she, she leans over and she says, whatever you do, if they offer us Kool-Aid, don't drink it. <laughs> it gets funnier. Ron Herod, brother Ron Herod, when he finishes the sermon, he's, and he's, he's dynamic, he's great, great sermon, great, and when he's finished, he says, now look, all you newcomers, he says, meet us in the lobby. We have some Kool-Aid party. <laughs> True story. He said, punch and refreshments. Wow. Like, no, he said Kool-Aid. <laughs> so needless to say, we didn't go drink that. We went out the back door. 
but we, we obviously started going and we, we started growing and, and I, I couldn't wait to go to church and Ellen too you know we wanted up going to Sunday school we'd have three hours whereas before we, we were trying to catch a mass in 45 minutes you know the one that we could do the quickest and I'm not knocking the Catholic church I misunderstand it was me but now it's like I'm on fire to learn the word of God and, and we'd have three hours and it seemed like 30 minutes on a Sunday morning and so it was just a tremendous growth time and, and we loved it. Um, so things are going well. We start learning how to tithe. We did not know how to tithe. We started learning how to tithe by the mid-80s. <laughs> by October of 87, the real estate market had crashed in our area. For those of you that are too young to remember that, it was a horrible time for commercial real estate. And we were literally now all of a sudden teetering on bankruptcy. Our properties were flipped upside down. We owed more than they were worth now. So one day I came home and said, baby, we, we may lose the house. We may have to go bankrupt. It was horrible. And <clears throat> we teetered on bankruptcy for five, almost five years. But we learned a lot. During that time, the Lord started showing us. In fact, we brought some books, Financial Freedom. And uh, Alan, do this. Put those. Let me tell you what we're going to do with these books. We're going to put them on the table. If anybody wants one, they're 10 bucks, but it's not for me. The money's going to go to Ellie and Alexis for, for all of this. But if you want a book, if you don't have 10 bucks, take one anyway. But in this book, it, 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 the main reason the Lord had me write this, because I'm not an author, but the main reason the Lord had me write this book was to simply chronicle and condense his financial principles into an organized format. Because they're all out there, all in the Bible, Old Testament, New, they're all over the place. So what he simply had me do is organize it in a, the basic principles of financial freedom, the intermediate principles, and then the supernatural principles if we're willing to, to step into them. And so God gets the glory for that, and um, it's in the fourth printing, so several thousand. And we've had a lot of testimonies of people who have heeded God's word, how they've been set free. And so it, it, it's God's deal, not my deal. But anyway... That's the thing on the book. So we share that testimony in there. And we never did have to file bankruptcy. We never did lose the house. And one by one by one, the Lord delivered us. We did everything honorably. We didn't, we didn't hide anything. We didn't shift any assets illegal or anything like that. And the miracle was, <clears throat> by May of 1992, we had teed on bankruptcy almost five years at this point. I called my little bride. I said, honey... Get ready, we're going out to celebrate. I got a buy one, get one free coupon <laughs> at Brunning's restaurant. It was still open. And I said, We're up to zero. Wow. We were up to zero because, as you see in there, we were in the tank $250,000. Wow. So, if some of you are suffering from credit card debt and, you know, medical debt and so on, I understand, we understand what that can be like. We were in the hole $250,000. But little by little, the Lord set us free. <laughs> so we went and had buy one, get one free lunch. And we celebrated. <laughs> we were up to zero. And so that's just the beginning, though, of, of God just continuing to do many, many supernatural miracles in our finances. Because what he was looking for, and we talk about this too, he's looking for people who are willing to partner with him because it's all his anyway. And be a vessel so that as we give back to him, not only the tithe, but if we're in a position over and above the tithe, he wants to multiply and send it back so that he can keep blessing those families or that couple or that individual. Because that's how he gets his work done on the planet. He gets his work done through people. So anyway, we learned all of that during those five years of very difficult. But that's how sometimes we learn is by going through, you know, the very difficult times. And so <clears throat> we entered into a, a period of what we call supernatural success and again it wasn't because of us it's because we were we were plugged into these principles and we were doing it and uh, by 1995 in just a three-year period the Lord had just supernaturally spun all of that around and, and we were we were back on solid footing again and, 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 and just you know really really felt like we were doing what the Lord wanted us to do we finished that book in 2000 we started a TV that we put on our heart because we've been doing a lot of men's meetings and men's groups and Bible uh, 
prayer breakfasts for the city and for even for the for the region and was just using this and a lot of different things like that. But he had a still financial freedom uh, TV ministry for about six years, which we sponsored that, our company did. And again, we've got a lot of good feedback from folks over the years that they really plugged in and they got blessed by it. So again, it's all it's all the Lord. Um, we started doing our business in Texas and <clears throat> and by the time that 2007 came along, we had, uh, with our partners, we had bought and sold something like, you know, $500 million of real estate, which for a little skinny kid from Lakeview, that was not even comprehensible for me. It was, in other words, what did this guy? Like it was, he just uses vessels that are willing to, to, be, to be there for him, you know, and, and obey him. And, um, and we had... Uh, you know, acquired with our partners something like 6,000 apartment units throughout Texas. So it was just an incredible time of growth and, and, and financial blessings that we could have never dreamed. But what I wanted to tell you through that, the reason we believe God honored all that was back when we were busted, we made him a deal. He likes, he likes deals. He really does. The deal we made, and I wrote it down. So any of you guys, you want to make a deal with the Lord, be sure you write it down. He says that. He said in the scriptures, he says, make sure you write down a vow, but if you don't, if you don't keep it, it's not good. And so Ellen and I talked about it, and we made a vow to the Lord that if he'd allow us to make this amount of income, which we had not made that ever, <coughs> that we would give back 25% of it over and above our time to the Lord. And I have my attitude, I call it, in the book we call it a predicated vow. See, if it doesn't happen, you don't owe the Lord anything, but if it does happen, then he gets the glory, and then it's an automatic system where now you have this extra income to give back the 25%. Does that, does that make sense? So we wrote all of that down in 1992, right when we got up to zero, never dreaming what was coming. But all I wanted to do was pay my bills. That, that's really, you know, but yet we started letting our faith rise up and we made that predicated vow. So I'm here to say that's the reason why he blessed us supernaturally is because we continued to honor that vow and over those years we continued to do that. And so, again, he gets the glory. Y'all getting this. He gets the glory. And so that's why we need to not put a cap on God. We're very, I'm very capable of that. You are too. And that's kind of the part of our testimony tonight is to take the cap off because God is much bigger than most of us giving credit for. And so this went on for, for several years. And again, we were supporting something like 100 ministries around the world, and we were giving back more than we used to make, which again is God. That, that's Him. It's not us. And so, it couldn't have been any better. Well, Katrina hits, y'all know that story. An ex-partner, we didn't know this, but in September of 2007, so we started doing the business in Texas in 95, so we had 12 years of this supernatural growth and supernatural run, I would call it. I get a phone call, September 29, 2007, at four o'clock on a Friday, from the ex-partner's lawyer saying it was an emergency meeting I had to meet with him. So I meet with him and he proceeds to tell me that our partner at the time who was managing all of these 6,000 units and had control over all of that um, had gotten into financial trouble and it was, it was bad and that he had been taking some monies that he shouldn't have been taking. Of course, I knew nothing. He kept all this hidden from us. He, he was keeping two sets of books, and which we found all this out later. We didn't know this at the time. He was a CPA, too. Oh, yeah. Did the C financial and the management. Yeah, and so, <coughs> so I go home. Thank God she was not home. So I go home on a Friday evening by myself, 2007. So what's that? Um, eight, I'm sorry, 11 years 11 ago. 11 years so. ago. I fell on my knees and I said, Lord, I know this is going to be bad. I don't know how bad, but I know it's going to be bad, and I don't know what to do. And he said, Ed, just do the right thing. 
I heard that same voice, you know, the same same voice that told me to beach the boat, same voice. Now he's telling me, just do the right thing. Very simple. But then I had a question for him. I said, Lord, why did you let it? Because I'm again, keep in mind, we're praying every day. We're praying before we do a new deal, making sure that it's God's will. We didn't go out and do a deal and then ask him to bless it. But at this point, we were mature enough to pray first. Lord, if this is of you, open the doors. If this is not of you, shut the doors. You with me? So by this point, <clears throat> we weren't doing any of these things without seeking the Lord first. So I had a question. I said, Lord, why did you let it go this far? In other words, why didn't we bust this guy sooner before it was in horrible shape? And the Lord spoke back to him and he said, so that the fullness of my plan could be revealed. That made, just like you said, that made no sense to me at all. I said, well, thanks for that, but I don't know what that means. So that the fullness of my plan can be revealed. I didn't know what it meant, but I tucked it into my heart and I accepted it. You know, as the Lord, at least he gave me an answer. I didn't understand it, but he gave me an answer. Well, again, I just didn't understand what the Lord was going to be doing. And so, so the fullness of my plan can be revealed. Ellen and I stepped up, and she didn't even blink. I'm so proud of my little girl. Mm -hmm. This guy had stolen, we think, between 20 and $30 million from the whole portfolio. He had what they call cannibalized units. He stole appliances, stole carpet, weren't paying any of the notes. And, and he, he, I'd been working with him for like 12, 12 years, and the guy was straight as an arrow. But Katrina, something snapped in him, and we think the greed demon literally kind of took over because he was he spun out of control in 2005. But he lied to me because I kept asking him, you know, are you okay? Oh yeah, yeah, we're okay. Well, what he was starting to do then, it, the forensics showed that he started stealing two years earlier than this, which was about the time of Katrina. So he got away with it for about two years, and his whole plan was to steal and embezzle as much as he could and then basically let the whole portfolio blow up because all of these properties were going to go back to the lenders. All, of, all the investors were going to lose all their money, but yet he had the 20 or 30 million hidden somewhere overseas. <clears throat> and he thought he was going to get away with it. And so <clears throat> we began the process of putting up our cash, everything we had, and, and I told them, I said, baby, we have no guarantee that we're going to get this money back because this thing is huge, this, this problem is much bigger than I can even understand at this point. But I said, it's the right thing to do because all of our investors, if we don't do something, our investors are going to lose all that money. And we were some of the biggest investors too, so we were going to lose that money as well. She, and I'm so proud of her, she didn't even blink. She says, Ed, let's do it. So she's given up all of her security because we could have gone and crawled under a rock somewhere, but we knew that's not what we had to do. We had to do the right thing. Just like he told me that we had to do the right thing. And so <clears throat> she, we started writing out checks because by this point we were writing out huge checks each month just to keep everything floating. Just to keep these properties alive because we had passed due notes to pay. So little did I know, and to show you how the Lord, he's never early, y'all know that. The Lord never, he ne I, you, can, you can write that he never shows up early. <laughs> never. But he never shows up late either. He always shows up right in the nick of time. So some six months later, when I'm writing out our last check, so all of our liquid reserves, and no, no bank in the land would lend me a penny at this point. I'm like radioactive, because they don't know what my involvement may have been. You know, in other words, even though we had nothing, but they don't, you know, it's very controversial. And we put like a this. mortgage on the house, too. Oh, yeah, we put a mortgage on the house. Clear. And which we had not had one on there before. And so I'm writing out our very last check. And I had no idea, if you can visualize with me, I had no idea where the pendulum was. Because each month, the pendulum had not hit bottom yet. In other words, each month there was still negative cash flows coming at us. Now they were getting smaller, but they were still coming at us to keep all of this alive. And if you stop making a payment, it's over. All the money we would have put up would have gone down the drain. All of the invested $60 million 
of the investor's equity. In other words, when you buy a house, you, know, you buy a $100,000 house where you may put 25000 equity down. Well, my investors had put down $60 million on this portfolio that we had at that point, and all of that would have been gone, <clears throat> plus our money that we put up to try to save it. And when I was writing out the very last check, the pendulum hit the bottom, but I didn't know that until 30 days later. You getting this? Wow. In other words, so, so what the Lord showed me, and again, he gave me little nuggets along the way. I mean, it was torturous. I mean, I... Again, the whole, Ellen, we were all, it was just horrific. But he showed me, had he gotten away with it for 30, he got away with it for two years. Had he gotten away with it for 30 more days, we'd have been buried. Wow. We would have lost it all. The investors would have lost it all. Because we would not have been at the bottom of that pendulum, y'all getting that? Yeah. Yeah. So our monies that we put up would not have been enough to save it, and yeah. all of it would have gone down. The lenders would have oh. took it. They're taking everything back, and of course, they don't give you any refunds. They just take the properties and, and go their way. And so I said, geez, thank you. I just, you know, we just started praising God. So there's little mirror. Now, again, the bombs are going off, and there's attacks coming from every angle. But we just, one by one, kept seeing God's faithfulness through, through all of this. And <clears throat> that began in September 2007. Ed had a had an old client who lived uptown, and he was very wealthy. He owned a square block uptown, and he was an investor of ours. And Ed went to talk to him, and he said, "You know, Ed, I'm an old man." He said, "So I've done a lot of business, and I've had a lot of things like this go bad with partners." He said, "You're going to be fighting this for five years," and I went, five years." Well, we fought it for eleven. How many lawsuits at the peak? 23 lawsuits. Uh, in other words, we got sued for what he did. Some of the lenders sued. Four lenders sued me, even though I had nothing to do with it. They stood, you know, they go after everybody. They sued me. Um, we had some of our handful of our, now we had 300 plus investors, and about 10 or 12 of those 300 decided to sue me, even though they knew we had nothing to do with it. They were just trying to shake, shake us down. Um, it was so hard because I can remember in the beginning we were making a lot of money for a lot of people and I can remember one day walking into um, Chateau Country Club and everybody was like that's it white and white oh, they, they love this and then our lawyers told us don't answer the phone close the door lock the bills and Ed said I'm not doing that because people that we had invested were my doctor friends I mean, brothers, people, sisters. I mean, mother my mother laws. was in it. Talk about scary when you your mother laws. <laughs> she was a great sport. Anyway, so it's like, well, I'm gonna have to get another lawyer because I'm not. Yeah, fired. I, I didn't do anything wrong. And I'm not gonna run and hide. But when we had this first meeting, everybody came together, and I mean, like people were were saying awful things about us, and uh, I, I, I mean. A friend that I knew and said, I'm putting that in jail. And it's like when people turn, like people that you, you know, that were taking you to dinner and and they're just like, uh, you're going down. And yet we had some investors that that was their first deal and they called Ed and they said, we know you're a good man and we're standing by you. But that was the hardest thing for me it, it because was, it was. he had such a good reputation. Right. And to see, you know, a lot of people say, oh, yeah, you're supposed to be a Christian. And it would be like daggers for me. It was just so hard to think that we hadn't done any of it. But yet, since he was the last one person standing, we were getting blamed for everything. And I'm just like, God, where are you, you know? This is just too much. It was overwhelming. It was unbearable. But, again, you learn during those times. And so... I'd pray every morning, of course Ellen would too. And we were managing 13 lawyers. Are you talking about farmers? 13 lawyers and 23 lawsuits. Now some of, the, some of them I was suing, again, I don't know if you can tell it, but the lender, his lender knew he was in trouble and they kept lending him more money, which kept sucking us in, because I'm thinking, surely, you know, 
he's telling me that this is before we actually busted him, because when he told me everything was still fine, the lenders are still lending him money. Well, I had no way of knowing, just like the big short, Rob, you may have seen that movie. I had no way of knowing the corruption that was in these international and national banks. I, I was still naive into thinking banks were at least somewhat, somewhat trustworthy. And he didn't want Ed to know because so Ed wait, was once, a capital I'm going to let you, but to, to finish that point, what was happening is the banks were still lending him money. They were then flipping those loans to Wall Street and making millions of dollars knowing they were deceiving me, and I'm bringing in new money from my investors thinking everything's fine. Then they're selling these toxic loans to Wall Street, basically, excuse the language, screwing those investors because those investors are thinking these are good loans, and they want, oh, it was hard. And the bank was doing that because they didn't have any, they call the skin in the game. The bank was not lending their own money. They were basically just, oh, it was, it was the most incredible thing. I could have never envisioned in my life that a national, international bank <clears throat> but they were all doing it, and we found this out later that they were all doing it. And so, anyway, so so. Well, they they and they kept they kept Ed on the line because Ed was the person who would bring in the new capital. Ed had the contacts, and so Ed would bring in the capital. So he didn't want us to know how bad things were because he told we. we it's it's such a story. I said he ought to write a book. We. One of his employees ended up being like a, like a calling and leaving her like a Watergate thing. I got some information, you know. She really helped us. Thank God. So, and that's what happened. See, the reason some of the investors initially were turning against us is because they couldn't comprehend how I didn't know. They could, and I, and frankly. In the beginning, I couldn't comprehend it either. Well, we found out. She told us he was keeping two. This lady, she she was afraid of going to prison herself. Mm -hmm. So she called me. She was, she was like a, an informant, and she called and said, "Mr. White, I don't want to go to prison. I want to help you." And if I don't want to say you, my name at first, if, but if I you got promise me, if you promise me, you know, you won't prosecute me, I will give you some valuable information. I said, I said, that's great. I said, I'll promise you that, but I can't speak for. Her. U.S. Attorney, because by this point, I had turned in the ex-partner to the federal government, the U.S. Attorney's Office, and so by this point, he was going to prison. But, so anyway, she decided to start cooperating, and this is when we got the double set of books. We tapped into their computer system. She remembered his past. He was keeping, wow. two, he was keeping awesome. two sets of books, wow. keeping two sets of occupancy reports, lying through oh. his teeth, but I had no way of knowing that because obviously I'm getting the books that appeared, the doctor said a, a book yes. that appeared to be good. So she was tremendous, and that's again one by one. The Lord did these miracles, and it was just amazing. And so these are some of the things we learned during that period, though. The first thing I was screaming out, "Lord, vindicate us!" Because, yeah. like Ellen said, our <coughs> reputation had been really pretty spotless up until all this. You know, we've been in the business for 30-something years and have, you know, have enjoyed a good reputation. And the Lord spoke back to me on that, too. He said, Ed, he says, vindication can't be rushed. It's going to come in my timing. That's not what I wanted to hear. He, he gave me an answer. And so I understood it was just going to take a long time. And, of course, we kept doing the right things day by day by day. Well, we hit you with all the really horrible negatives, at least most of it. But what we didn't say is one by one, those investors that even the 12 or so that sued us, they began to drop those lawsuits because they began to see what we were doing and how we were turning these properties. You know, we put up our own money. You know, we, we put this guy, we had him going to prison. So there was a lot of evidence that showed that we were telling the truth. And, and so one by one, they started not only dropping the lawsuits, but one by one, they, they started apologizing, you know, and said, Ed, we misunderstood, you know, we, we, we with you. Some of them started reinvesting with us, and it was amazing, it was miraculous. And <clears throat> the small handful that continued to pursue us, and this is where I really had to learn a lot. It was like 
knives in the back because here we are fighting for these guys to try to get their money back. We're putting up our own money to try to help them. And they're literally attacking us, the only people that can help them. I don't know mm -hmm. if that makes any sense, yeah. but it was like, I'm leading the charge to try to get your money back, Ellen and I were, and you're stabbing me in the back. That's not real right. And these were, what if, we I go, very if I go friends. down, there's nobody left to get your money wow. back. Y'all with me? And, but yet they just get irrational. Sometimes people, well, this is what the Lord, the Lord, because again, I wanted to, I wanted to like cut them loose. I wanted to not have anything to do with this five or six people. And you know what the Lord showed me? And he told me in a prayer one morning, he said, Eddie said, I served the people who love me and I served the people who hated me. Because you see, it's easy to serve the people who love you. It's not real easy to serve. And I had only been serving people who loved us. I mean, we loved them, but they loved us. You with me? And now the Lord's showing me, i got to learn how to serve people who at this, at this time, they hated me. But I had to learn how to serve them too. Boy, it was, it was, it was tough. It was not easy. But I said, Lord, I got it. And, and I, I, I changed my attitude. In other words, I began to just pray for them. I started forgiving them. Ellen did too. We started realizing they were suffering from stuff that might have happened in their childhood. It had nothing to do with me. But all of this, you know, venom and bitterness and hatred, it, it, it didn't start with me. It started a long time ago. But I'm the next guy that they're going to take it out on. Y'all with me on this? And that's what the Lord, again, I didn't see all that again, but that's what the Lord showed me. When we seek, when we seek the Lord during these kind of times, he begins to show us things that we don't understand on our own. And it helped me because it helped me to start having compassion for these people rather than hating them and wanting to go slice their tires with the heart <laughs> and Instead of that, he started having me pray for them and start praying for their healing because they, they need to be healed. And um, and it was a it was a big adjustment, but he, he helped me do it. And then he said I said, but Lord, what about the ones that are lying about me? You know, they're persecuting us. He said, Ed, he says, they lie about me. And they persecuted me, and I'm perfect. You're not. <laughs> but, you know, when, when, when the Lord speaks these things to you, even though you know it's scriptural, all of a sudden it, it, it hits at a deeper level. You know, when, if you've never been persecuted, if you've never had people lying about you, that scripture doesn't mean much. But when you're going through it, and they're lying about you, and they're persecuting us for things we didn't do, when the Lord speaks that to you, it's like, wow, Lord. And what he said was, is that you and Ellen are becoming more like me now. Because you're getting to see what it's like. Not that we'll ever be fully like him, but our job, all of us, is to continue to become more like Jesus, right? Yes. And sometimes it's not easy. And sometimes we've got to go through difficulties to see these things that we couldn't see before. Y'all with me? Mm -hmm. We have to surrender those things we didn't even know we hadn't surrendered because we didn't even know they were there. Right. And that's what the Lord began to show us more and more and more so through all of this. And so, as it moved on, we, listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 44, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Again, when you're going through, what we, that's not what you want to hear, but we obeyed and we began to heed it and that's how we began to get set free. So all of that venom, I had to It was develop. not easy. None, especially for this little Italian once to hire a hitman to bump a mile off. <laughs> She's going to call Luno and Bruno times. But when you're going through your difficulties and we're going through our difficulties, we learn what that really means. Because you see, we still had no clues that all this was going to work out. You know, we had no, no clues that it was going to, but yet we just had to keep living by faith. And I got to, I got to share this because this was a year and a half into this debacle. So we, we busted him in September of 2007. 
So this is now by around mid-2009, early 2009, and i got to be honest with you, even though, you know, I'm talking about all these prayer times and Lord speaking, I still didn't understand that I was still trying to solve all these problems in the flesh. I know that sounds like a contradiction, but in other words, I, I, I go to work and I'm working, you know, I'm working 10, 12 hours a day, you know, trying to fix all this stuff, and I'm, I'm stressing out. You know, and Ellen was worried about me, you know, I was having some chest pains and other stuff. And, um, and after about a year and a half, the Lord showed me, he said, Ed, you, you, you know, even though you're praying to me and all, you know, you, you, you're following me, but he says, you're still trying to do it in the flesh. And again, I would have, I didn't understand that yet. But when he told me that, when he revealed that to me, I said, Lord, I said, I'm just going to release everything to you. Because, see, I was just a deal. I was still worried about the outcome. Y'all getting that? I was still thinking it was up to us to have this all work out. Because all these people were dependent on us. And all these people's money's on the line. By this point, we, we were still out on the line. Things were doing better, but it was still out there. It wasn't, it wasn't solved yet. And what he revealed to me was I had to be willing to lose everything. And I got to that point. I said, Lord, I said, you know what? I'm willing to lose it all. If that's your plan, because I still didn't, remember what I said, so the fullness of his plan could be revealed. I still didn't know what that really was yet. And so, not that my faith was, was withering, it's just that I didn't really know what God's plan was. So now I had to, this is the point for all of us. Sometimes we're going through things. We've got to look at the worst case scenario. Not that we wish that upon ourselves, but we've got to look at it to see what's the worst that could happen here and then say, Lord, that's okay with me. I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to serve you. And I'm still going to follow you. Even if the worst thing happened. Y'all, y'all get this? And when I did that, it was like, the weight of the world came off of me. And I truly began to operate in the spirit that he wanted me to. Not that I was bad before, but I just didn't know I was still doing a lot of this in the flesh. Y'all with me? But when I surrendered that, and then when I talked about it, I said, baby, I said, I'm just, I'm just willing, I'm ready to lose it all. If that's God's plan, I said, I'm not sure that it is yet, but I'm willing to lose this house, I'm willing to lose everything. If, if that's, if that's, what God wants, I'm going to be okay with that. And I literally meant it. I got to the point where I was okay with it. Well, when I fully surrendered all of that, that's the point I'm making when we're going through different things. When we fully, truly surrender it to Him, that's when the peace comes into us that's supernatural. That's when it surpasses all understanding. Because all the problems are still there. People look at me and they couldn't understand where this peace was coming from. It was coming from Jesus because we had fully surrendered everything to Him. And literally, it still took many, 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 many years. But we just had this deep inner peace that it was all going to work out. And one by one by one, he kept doing more and more miracles you know, over the years. And um, <clears throat> Luke 11.9 says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Again, a very famous passage we all know. But the implication is, is we do this ongoingly. This is not a one-time prayer. This, this is like daily. And, and so what he showed us is that we had to keep seeking him on a day-by-day basis. We had to keep asking him on a day-by-day. We had to keep knocking and asking for his help. Because see, when we are weak, that's when he can be strong. That first year or year and a half, I was still thinking I had the strength to do it. And what he showed me is I didn't even have one-tenth of one percent of the strength that it was going to take to get this thing done. And until I realized that, I was still tying his hands a little bit. You with me? I wasn't allowing him to fully flow because I'm still thinking I can do some of this in the flesh. Not on purpose. It was just out of ignorance. And so 
the times when I'd be emotion, emotionally and spiritually exhausted, mentally exhausted, he would send me little nuggets, my daily scripture readings. They would jump off the page. Y'all know what that's like. <laughs> the same scripture you read 32 times, and now you read it the 33rd time. It's like, oh my God, you wrote that just for me. You know, 6,000 years ago, you wrote that just for me. Psalm 27:13. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I mean, there were days Ellen literally had to talk. I was on the ledge, ready to jump off my three-foot three ledge. You know, I wasn't even hurt. It was, was going to look good, right? So she'd talk me off my ledge, come here. And so she was a tremendous support. When I'd be so down and exhausted, you know, she would... I'd be on a ledge sometimes, too, though. No, but but she was always there for me, and hopefully I was there for her. But and that's the thing, husbands and wives, we need each other. You know, we, we need to we need to support each other. And then the Lord gave me a word about the blessing of sustenance. Again, you know, what is that? The blessing of sustenance. You know, we think of blessings of prosperity and blessings of health and blessings of family, blessings of relationship. But he, one day I'm reading and, and it says, you know, the prophet. Remember when the prophet was being chased by Jezebel? And he, he didn't have any food. They, she wanted to kill him. This is Elijah, I believe. And, and the raven starts bringing him food. Now give me a break. I haven't seen too many ravens feeding people, but... God was sustaining him supernaturally. And that's what he spoke to me. He said, Ed, I'm sustaining you. And it's a blessing because we should have been gone. Mm -hmm. By all accounts, we should have been gone long before. We should have been bankrupt. We should have lost all the property. Our reputation should have been destroyed forever. But yet God was feeding me through the raven, so to speak. And so it's a blessing of sustenance. It's an amazing study. You really need to kind of go back and review that passage because it's an amazing we don't think of sustenance as a blessing but it is just when he's sustaining us we're not getting anywhere but we're not dying but we're not either. going down yeah. amen he's, he's like holding our head above water so we don't drown that's right it's incredible and so anyway the blessing of sustenance and so <clears throat> we're wrapping up how are we doing time wise Elliot keep going the, uh, we're wrapping up. I'll tell you, I'm pretty old, so I knew the testimony would take a while. So, where we are now in Isaiah 40, 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Many times that scripture just carried me through, you know, a few days or a week or whatever. And although nothing changed immediately when I did that second surrender I was talking about, where I just was willing to lose it all and just give God the glory anyway, one by one by one by one, miracles just continued to happen. Again, never early, never late, just in the nick of time. So here we are, 11 years later. We settled the last lawsuit this past July. Praise God. Praise God. I had to buy one, get one free. Took it on another free lunch. No. no, but you know, it was just an incredible celebration because we had been set free from eleven years of, of really torture and torment in a lot of ways. And so, then with such a blessing for that too is I during all this, our daughter decided to go to law school, and so she's a lawyer, and she was involved in us settling that last suit. She sure was. That, wow. that last suit. Her, oh, she works for a firm that helped us settle that last suit. And beyond that, she, she literally gave me advice 11 years ago that saved the portfolio and saved us, saved our investors' money. And she's a little young girl. But she gave me advice that literally was pivotal. I thanked her again the other day for that, and she started crying. But that's why, guys, you got to listen to everybody. You know, listen, because you got to take this wisdom in a multitude of counselors. 
Yes, my little daughter gave me advice, and Ellen was right there. She gave me this. And my Ellen, mother, we all gave them the same word. They, and, and let me tell you, I listened to these girls, and it worked. Had I not listened to them, I wouldn't be here tonight. I mean, mm -hmm. literally, I, I wouldn't be here tonight. You'd have somebody else talking, but it, it wouldn't be me. And, and so, I'd be living in, under an overpass on a crossway. <laughs> <laughs> I was eyeing up a little spot. <laughs> so where we are, 11 years later, we finished the last lawsuit. Praise God. Oh, and by the way, it's another miracle. Those, those handful of investors that would not drop their lawsuits, they went through four lawyers because every lawyer they'd bring that to the stuff too and the lawyers would come meet I'd give them everything every lawyer would tell them they didn't have a case against me so then they'd go hire another lawyer uh -huh. so they it took they went through four lawyers and I told them I said I'm not giving you a penny because I didn't do anything wrong I wasn't being arrogant I just wasn't going to to be intimidated by people that knew I hadn't been, and they, they knew I hadn't done anything they, they, they admitted that to Ellen but they were just trying to shake us down so I said I'm not gonna I'm not gonna play that and so <clears throat> Long story short, we wanted up buying them out for like 70 cents on the dollar. And later on, the property, which we kept telling them, hang in there, drop these lawsuits, and the properties are doing better. We're going to get you all your money back if you just be patient and, and, and be, get, be, be, be get rational. Well, they wouldn't hear that. So anyway, we bought them out, <clears throat> got those lawsuits settled. <coughs> a few years later, we wound up selling the property and made a lot of profit. So not only did they pay hundreds of thousands in legal fees, which they should not have paid, they should not have paid. Then they lost. It was, it was it was really irrational. That's why we all need to seek the Lord to do rational things, not irrational things. They're not helpful for anybody. So this is where we are. We've sent back up the sixty million dollars that I said earlier was about to go down the drain. We've now sent them back sixty-three million dollars cash. We have three properties remaining, and now we've rebuilt the equity over $40 million in, the, in those three properties. So what could have been easily a $60 million bloodbath, if you're with me, 11 years ago, the Lord spun it around to $100 million positive. And the reason this is all very, very... Um, Incredible is the guys up north. This this guy was managing ten thousand of their units. They did, and I'm not knocking them. They did not step up like Ellen and I did. Those investors lost, in my estimation, over seventy-five million dollars. It's gone. They lost that within the first year. So so these numbers I'm giving you are not. They're real. In other words, that's the kind of loss this could have been. One by one by one, the investors, even those guys that kept suing us, the ones that we wanted up having a buyout. One or two of them have even come up and apologized. And I told them, I said, you know, it takes a big man to admit you're wrong. And I said, I forgive you too. I said, I've been praying for you for a long time. Shook, shook his hand. Again, that relationship will never be what it was before. But I have no, no bitterness. I have no resentment. I have no, you know, we have no animosity. We still pray for those guys. Even the ones that never did come up, we still pray for them. Y'all with me? And, and I'm convinced that's why the Lord was able to spin all of this around. Because you see, if we would have kept bitterness or hatred and alcohol, this, this would have never happened. Because we would have blocked God's blood. We would have blocked His hand to be able to pull off these miracles. So, <clears throat> when I told you God said the fullness of His plan is being revealed, now you and I are having a better sense of what he means by that. See, this, this was a national debacle. This, this hit Wall Street Journal. This hit... Front page in Picayune. Front, uh, do you remember that? Two big front headline on Sunday Picayune. So... Well, that was a fun day. So God, the fullness... Listen, listen to what God meant by that, as I understand it now. I'm sure he'll throw me more as time goes on. But what he meant was the fullness of his plan can be revealed. See, this thing was so big and so impossible for us to turn around that by us learning all the things we shared tonight and by yielding it to the Lord and doing it His way, now He has been glorified nationally. So God, there's, there's people that come up to me sometimes that me, I don't even know them. 
and they say, man, you know, we, we heard what y'all did down there. And I said, first thing I always say is give God the glory because I said this was way beyond anything we could turn around. So God's being glorified not only nationally, but our several hundred local investors. Our, our meetings were like, were like revival meetings. I mean, and some of these people, most of them are Christian, but some of them are not. And they're praising God there because when they kept seeing these miracles and were giving them checks for double that money when they thought they were going to lose all of that money, they freaking out. And we tell them in our talks, we said, look, this is God. You need, you need to thank Jesus for this because this is way beyond anything we could have done. Y'all with me? And so when Lord gave me that word, we didn't understand it, but we certainly understand it better now. Had it been an easy fix, he wouldn't be getting the glory. Y'all getting this? So he had to let it go for those two years so it was impossible for me and Ellen and our little team to turn it. It was impossible. And that's what we, we learned the hard way. It was impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Thanks for listening to the Five Lives podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or at fivelives.org. Want to hear even more stories? Check us out on Spotify or iTunes. This has been a production of Five Lives Ministries. Any attempt to sell, distribute, or reproduce this content without the express written permission from Five Lives and its speakers is prohibited by law.